0: You're listening to Were You Still Talking? Hey, welcome back. This is Joel Albrecht again with Were You Still Talking? On the Zoom today, I have John Shabish. He is uh, one of my most distinguished guests. He's an economist at the Urban Institute in Washington, D.C., in addition, he's done research on programs that support low-income communities. He's a writer, teacher, creator of policy-relevant data visualization, and considered one of the leading voices in clarity and accessibility and how research, researchers communicate their analysis. If you're watching this video, you're seeing the behind-the-scenes of the podcast as I read through this introduction. He also spent nine years at the Congressional Budget Office conducting research in such areas as earnings and income inequality. Integration, disability insurance, retirement security, data measurement, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, and other aspects of public policy. Um, John, thank you so much for coming into my studio today, for showing up um, on the podcast. This is a very, I find this a really exciting subject, data in general, but also trying to make data so people can understand it. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming, yeah. coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Joel. It's uh,
0: glad to be here. There's a the my first question is is the one I think I, I'm curious if you get this a lot, but I always hear people saying that uh, you can make data do anything. You know, you can you can bend data to do anything you want. It's your fault. Uh, I think that's true. I mean, okay. I, the data itself,
1: you can't really bend data. I mean, I guess you could if you really try, but on the visualizing data, you certainly can bend it to do what you'd like. And I can give you a very uh, current recent example of this. So um, last week the US came out with its new uh, employment situation report. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics puts out its report and it shows that the number of jobs added between April and May grew by 2.5 million jobs. It's a lot of jobs that we added between April and May and saw lots of graphs about this. And one of the graphs that that came across my desk was, was tweeted out by the president that showed a, a very simple bar chart, the top five months, highest months of job gains since the BLS had started reporting these data, which I think is about 1937. So you see, you know, it's something like, April of 1946 or thereabouts, we added about a million jobs, a couple of examples before that. And I think it's September of 1983, we added about, you know, one point something million jobs. And then uh, May of 2020, we added 2.5 million jobs and this bar towers over the rest of the bars. Well that's of course true, except that the month before we lost 20 million jobs. So that is unprecedented by leaps and bounds beyond any other decline in jobs in the history of the country. So it's easy to sort of cherry pick this growth when you start from a really low base. I mean, you know, we're still talking about 18 plus million people who are out of work relative to where we were just three or four months ago. So, um, so you can bend the data to do what you like, and, and it requires, I think, um, a discerning and critical eye uh, when you come across visualizations to um, think about where it's coming from, who's showing it to you, and, and where the data are from, to say, uh, maybe this doesn't pass the smell test right away, and then, and then to start asking others whether they had the same reaction.
0: I, that's a really incredibly good example um, and it's too bad that's not recent. Oh yeah, that was yesterday. Or was <laughs> that today? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of examples like that. It seems yeah. like today in our world today, and it, it's uh, it's pretty shocking. At least that's not coming out of the White House or anything like that. Um, we uh, that that's just that's perfect. It's mind-boggling. And uh, the, what's tough is that in our current society, our click society, you know, it it's hard to that. Well the People putting out those kind of charts know no one's going to look at it. I mean, they know no one's going to go beyond that graph. Wow, that graph looks amazing. Well, no one's going to go beyond that. So, it's um, you know, I encourage everyone to do a little research when they see a, a graph like that and see what it really is saying. Because I do that on both sides. I mean, I'm I'm uh, uh, a bit liberal leaning, and but I see lots of data from that side too. That's like, wait a minute, that's not actually. That's not, sure. maybe not real. That, yeah,
1: yeah. You can, you can bend the truth and bend the visualizations no matter what your political affiliation. Um, but I think as readers of visualizations, one of the things that I think we need to be conscious of is automatically clicking and retweeting and liking visualizations without taking at least a moment to pause about is this correct? Is this telling me something that I think is true? Is this coming from a source that I trust and and that I respect? Um, There's one of the uh, uh, leaders in the data visualization field, a a guy by the name of Alberto Cairo has a new book called How Charts Lie, and it's all about how uh, people can manipulate uh, the visuals, the representation of the data, so that they're lying. It, It seems objective, and it seems honest, and it seems true, um, but the way it's presented can mislead us, it can lie to us, and sometimes it's it's inadvertent, right? Sometimes people are trying to make a graph that is true and, and telling a good story and, and representing the data, but they've made some sort of mistake that maybe they didn't even realize, and um, there's lots of examples of that that I could point to it's always hard in an audio format like a podcast to talk about a visual uh representation of data, but I think the, the bar chart everybody knows what a bar chart is, and, and that's the simplest way, so that's why I like that example. Uh, because it's so easy to, to, to describe in an audio format, too. Which is you know often now more and more the way we're consuming information is in you know audio formats, is on podcasts, is, is through ebooks, so um, it's becoming another i guess another challenge of visualizing data is how to think about different platforms and communication means that we need to think about as we communicate to different types of audiences
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and even no matter how many um click-throughs i put on the description of a podcast you probably know that very few people i've talked to podcast experts that very few people look at that stuff so it's true it's it's hard to to talk about but it's fascinating people so go to pod visit uh, podvis.com is that your website
1: uh, policyviz.com
0: Pol- i'm sorry policyviz.com has a Dope. ton of information and some really good examples of, of what we're going to be talking about here today it, it's um it it's it's a very full website there's a, there's blogs there's podcasts <laughs> there there's uh, a lot of stuff to look at and um so that's a good a good place to go. One of the things, another example of what you're talking about and that I saw um, you you blogging about was the COVID um, visualizations. And mm-hmm. I, I was like, I'm so glad to see someone say this because there, I was looking at that map that you're talking about on your blog from June 4th, I believe it is. And uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I was like, yeah, that doesn't make sense for me either. I've seen some that, that work a lot better for me. But that particular right. one was like, yeah, what does this mean? What? and yeah, yeah. Why,
1: and how do we how do we read some of these things uh, so yeah. there are, so there are there are there are a few points about covid i think that are worth making i mean i think one thing is that many of us and i would include myself in this should not be making covid related data visualizations right mm-hmm. um, i'm not an epidemiologist i cannot make health recommendations or public health pronouncements because I do not have the training or the background or really the expertise that's needed. And I would say that it's very different from talking about uh, economic data, like gross domestic product or employment rates, or even if you're working on climate change or business analytics, because COVID the information you're putting out, people are making real life and death decisions about themselves and their families. And so I think for anyone who's working with data, we need to be very, very careful about what we're putting out into the world because you are potentially influencing people's decisions about when to wear masks, when to go out into public, whether they should socially distance. So there's a lot of information there that I think is, is a, a, a something that we need to just take very seriously and be very careful about. With respect to, to, to the visualizations that, that I had, I had uh, mentioned on my blog, is really talking about this idea of using color in better and strategic ways. So there's, there are many maps right now about COVID. Uh, you could probably just Google and find pages on pages and pages of them. Um, one of the more popular ones that are tracking COVID-related uh, deaths and infection rates is from the Johns Hopkins University. And they have, if you are listening to this, uh, a map of the world or the United States with uh, circles in different areas of the country, either by state or metropolitan area. And each circle, the size of the circle corresponds to how many people have died or are infected in those particular areas. But each of those circles is a solid red circle. So let's just pick um, let's pick the New York City area because that's sort of the, the best one, right? You've got a lot of people in New York City who have been infected and have unfortunately died from the virus. So you have a big red circle there. Well, behind that circle are other circles for other areas in and around New York City that you can't see because it's big red circles just sitting on top of it. By comparison, you go over to the New York Times website and they have almost the identical map, except instead of having solid red circles, they've added a very slight transparency to the color in those circles so that you can see the outline of the circles behind it. So you can see New York City, but you could also see Poughkeepsie and areas on Long Island and areas in New Jersey. So, data visualization is, is a mix of being able to work with data. It's also about being able to work with design. And part of the design part of, uh, of, of data visualization is understanding how and when to use colors, um, shapes and other types of things. But, but I was really interested in the change in how we perceive the data and understand the story that's being told us just by this very slight change in making this color transparent so i can see what's happening behind it
0: oh yeah that makes a lot of sense because i when i look at that i am the same you got this you've got a great big circle but that's not new york that right circle is like the entire state and what they're right, talking exactly. about is the city of new york right now that, that even makes more sense to me it's like what the, i watch um a uh, live visualization, I forget who puts it out, but it's way more, it's much easier to look at. It's mostly numbers and it goes from, it switches countries every so often. And it talks just about that, but it's mostly numbers at the top. So you can read it a lot clearer. It's a a lot easier to see that. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've always, uh, I've always been into graphs and charts and now, you know, there's so many, so many more of them out there that, I find it really entertaining. And that's, I think, maybe the problem is that people are making charts about something really important, not just COVID, but other things, and they're making them for entertainment. It's it, right. So they're maybe not looking at, um, you know, how valuable is this or, or how dangerous is this in this case, possibly things yeah. like that. It, it's no, I great. think there are a
1: lot of, and, and in the field, there are a lot of efforts out there. Um, there's, there's a project called Makeover Monday, which is primarily for people using Tableau. There's a project called Tidy Tuesday, which is for people who primarily use R. You know, these are all great community projects that help people advance their skills and, and get feedback. Um, but those I think are the types of projects where you would not want to, I think, I, I would argue, you would not want to use COVID. You would not want to have 50 visualizations of people quote unquote playing with data around COVID. Uh, because a you can accidentally or purposely mislead people, and also you know when we are working with data, we have to recognize that there are people behind the data that we're working with. So you know when we are tabulating or making a map or visualization of deaths from COVID, you know you know I think it's one hundred and ten thousand people in the United States have died uh, during this pandemic. I mean that's one hundred and ten thousand people. That's their families. Um, that's their friends. So we have to keep in consideration the people that are behind the data. And it's and I think it's very easy to just you know, download a data set and look at it in a spreadsheet, you know, look at it as a as a long set of numbers, but those numbers represent uh, people um, oftentimes. And and I think we just need to be conscious of that. And and it's and it's something that's that's difficult. There's no doubt that it's difficult because I think a lot of people, I mean most of the people that I know in the data visualization field, Um, want to be helpful and they want to provide information they want to provide guidance and sometimes uh, those attempts can just be misguided uh, as opposed to saying you know I'm going to sit this one out (laughs) I'm just gonna let other people who know more than I do uh, take the lead
0: right yeah that makes a lot of sense and I'm definitely seeing incredible amounts of data it's almost 116,000 as of today just just Mm -hmm. throwing that out there yeah um which is, yeah, it's mind-boggling, and especially yeah. that it seems that a good portion of Americans are still not taking it seriously, which is also mind-boggling to me. Hard hard to get my head around. Um, I'm, I am wondered if you saw, I saw some really good graphics in the latest National Geographic, which they do a lot of. But it was yeah. a new way of looking at, it was about the veterans of World War II, the surviving veterans of World War II. And they have graphics about how many people um, were killed in each country. And it was a big eye opener because it it, it was just a square, but the squares were different sizes representing the death rate in different countries. And it included civilians. And uh, Mm -hmm. to me, it was really easy to read. And it was a big eye opener when you Hmm. when you see that America didn't lose a lot of people compared to everyone else in the world. You know, right. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's, there's a number of different stories about, or visualization stories about World War II in particular. But I think a lot of what those projects shed light on is the difficulty of visualizing large numbers and visualizing numbers that are hard for us, I think, to connect with and understand. You know, I, I spent a long time working uh, for the federal government. And, you know, one of the things that, that I always found difficult in communicating the work that we were doing is, you know, the dollars that we're spending, you know, when I tell you that we're spending a trillion dollars or or $2 trillion, or even a $100 billion, how, how we can't comprehend what that kind of money is. And, you know, if you think about how do we get that down to something that people can understand? Well, you could say, well, it's, you know, you've seen these all the time, right? It's, a, it's this many cans of beans, or if you take the dollar and put them end to end, it goes, you know, to the moon and back. And both of those are like, okay, it's still a trillion cans of beans. Beans are about a dollar can, so okay. And to the moon and back is like, I I have no relationship to what that means either. So it's a really big challenge in the field of how you do get people to understand and connect with these really big numbers that are meaningful, um, but they're just hard to connect with. And um, one of the strategies that, that I and others have used is um, trying to make these kind of, uh, different sort of, uh, comparisons. So these comparisons of if you, you know, stack empire state buildings doesn't really work. But if you said, um, if I filled up, uh, you know, 10 football stadiums of people, that's equivalent to, to, you know, this thing. Well, I've been to a football stadium. I can sort of envision that, what that would mean, um, so it is a it is a it is a uh, it is a big challenge. Um, and of course, the what was interesting about World War Two data is the number of deaths that, that occurred in Russia, um, really uh, dwarf those for the United States. And yet still, uh, we find the 10s of 1000s of deaths from American troops in World War Two to be still something that we can't really comprehend. Um, it, they're just, these are hard numbers to get our to get our heads around.
0: Uh, it's true and especially because the population was so much smaller than in in both countries i mean russia lost like a quarter of their people or something I mean, they right. i mean an incredible amount and mostly civilians it was slightly more slightly more civilians than military which is something that you know because we come from america and watch and come from john wayne movies all we hear about is the sacrifices of americans which were great, which were still huge especially compared to our population. Mm-hmm. But um, compared to the rest of the world, they were actually kind of small. I mean, yeah. compared to everyone else. That's what I found interesting about that article. And you were talking about the uh, football stadium visualization. And all I thought was, well, if you fill it with beer, more people are going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, right. If you actually That's fill right, it yeah. with beer. I can but, really connect to it. Again. Now everyone's going to connect. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I also was, um, I've heard from listening to podcasts and reading books uh with neurologists that it is literally not possible for people to grasp those kind of numbers um mm. even even uh, over a bi- even up to a billion like we can't our brain is not
1: yeah wired not
0: equipped to do it yeah not equipped i mean we ha- what we can see you know that many things and we can get our numbers can go pretty big in our head and understand it but when you get to a certain number like the distance from here to the moon that's really hard for anyone to conceive. And the distance from here to the sun, which probably no one realizes how much further that is, right. it's right. really hard for our brain to conceive. So I can see how that would be extremely hard to convey. And you know, better graphics is one way to do it, one really yeah. good way to do it.
1: And, and the, other, the other way to do it, and, and this sort of branches, uh, gets a little broader from data visualization, is, is to tell stories and to connect with people. Um, I think one of the best examples I can think of is is a study where researchers wanted to test the difference between emotionally connecting to content versus looking at statistics. So what they did was they brought people in to do a survey, and the survey was just sort of the the, the dummy part of this. It had actually no relevance to the study. So survey participants came in, they filled out the survey, and at the end, they received $5 and a, and a letter. And the in on, on one group, the letter said... There is a, um, uh, a refugee camp in, I don't remember what country it was, let's, let's just say Syria. There's a refugee camp in Syria uh, and gave all these statistics about the number of people who were there, the number of people who are hungry, et cetera, et cetera, and said, you know, would you like to do- donate some of your $5 from doing the survey to this, to this cause? The other group did the same survey. But instead of getting the letter that had number after number after number, it told the story of an individual little girl. This is where she's from. This is who her family is. This is how she got into the refugee camp. This is, you know, the challenges that she faces. And interestingly, um, the the second group that, that received the story, they uh, donated, I think, like a dollar more on average than the first group who saw just the statistics. So... It's not just the large numbers; it's that the, that numbers don't always help us connect at a visceral, emotional level with the content the way stories can. But it's also a lot harder to tell these stories than it is to create, you know, a bar chart or a map or a line chart. So, so that's the that's the the complexity of of, of visualizing, communicating data, and that's why I think you see more and more often now large media organizations like the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Guardian um sort of combining the storytelling with the data visualization.
0: That makes a lot of sense. There's a YouTube channel that uh, and a Facebook p- page that uses both of those things. I'm wondering if you've ever seen it. It's a very strange name. It's called Wamama well, Stats. But they have Oh no. You should check this out. I think you would really yeah. like it because they have moving visualizations. Um, and an, an example is they have the one of them was the um, operating system since 2009, the most popular operating system. So at mm-hmm. the beginning of the graph, of course, uh, Windows is all the way on one side and everything else is all the way on the other side. And it goes through uh, visually and with motion um, like every six months or so. And it's mm-hmm. it's pretty interesting. So, it's a, it oh. really, you know, he's both telling a story. And uh, doing really good visualizations. Uh, some of right. them, of course, are. He's got a, suddenly there's a lot of ones about COVID. So uh, <laughs> he's also trying to get a lot
1: of YouTube hits. They're trying to get those views. Yeah. 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 Trying
0: to get those viewers. But um, yeah. I just, I found a lot of the graphs really entertaining, which is, you know, you, you stab them on your podcast. <laughs>
1: well, which is, which is, but it was also, which is also part of, the whole um, uh, challenge of of communicating data is sometimes you do need to entertain people to bring them in, right? The visualization that I might create for Twitter versus the blog post versus the full report, uh, the visual might be very different because for the people who are reading the full 200 page report uh, that has all the technical math and all that, you know, I might I, I, for that audience. I want them to be able to see that this bar is two point five percent, and this other bar is two point one percent. That that exact difference is really important. But maybe for the Twitter audience, it's just to demonstrate that this thing over here is bigger than this thing over here, and that's what I need to focus on. And I need to engage them and create something that gets their attention and then brings them in to to you know sort of gets them into more of the details and more of the depth um, as opposed to just giving them the sort of top line. So you know so so i think there are people out there who sort of scoff at the idea of entertainment through data but i think a lot of times what we need to do is is um i would say engage rather than entertain but we do need to engage people because otherwise like you said Joel they're just you know stuff is flying by us all the time right and it's hard to keep up and it's hard to not you know sort of tune into the thing that that's most important to us
0: yeah that really that makes a lot of sense and i mean i can see where if you're making data visualizations for uh, a group of uh, educators or a group of, of, um, you know, economists, it's going to be a much different idea right. than if you're making it for someone like myself, who you're just trying to, you want to get an idea across and you need, you need to grab yeah. their, grab them and sh- and make it well easier.
1: Right. That's right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have had, you, you have a, did you start the blog first or your podcast first? I'm curious about how that came about. Cause you've actually has a, you have a lot of episodes You've been podcasting yeah. five years. Is that right? Uh,
1: five years. Uh, five years. I'm about to, I think six. So I'm about to wrap up the sixth, what I call seasons. Uh-huh. Uh, I take a couple months off in, in summer. So I'm, I'm going to try to do that this year. Um, so I started the blog first and um, so let's see. So six years was like 2014. So it was about this time, 2014, I, maybe a couple months earlier I started. And you know, it's crazy how the podcasting world has changed, you know, at early on, everybody had a podcast, and then it sort of fell a little bit. And then when I started mine, uh, five or six years ago, it was still at the point where, you know, there's a few more, but but you know, not hadn't really caught fire. Now everybody has a podcast. Um, So I started the blog first. And actually, I started instead of doing a, a sort of formal podcast, I started doing audio interviews with people in the field. And I was just posting those as, uh, as blogs, uh, as blog posts. You know, I talked to so-and-so, we had a conversation, I recorded it, and, and here's that conversation. I wasn't really thinking about a podcast. And I did, I think, two or three of those, I was just calling them conversations or something. And someone said, why don't you just turn this into a podcast? And I said, well, yeah, that would be, that would be better, right? That would make, um, yeah. that, would that, would make, make that makes more sense, yeah. <laughs> um, so I started the podcast, and I was doing interviews every week. Uh, I was publishing an episode every week and I did that for about, I think four years and then said, uh, this is, this is exhausting to do this every week. So now I go every other week and, you know, I think you've probably had the same experience as I have, you know, the, the, the types of things that you need to do to create a good uh, podcast. Um, I don't think they've changed, but at least my awareness of what's needed um, has changed. So um you know aside from all the hardware that's needed you know the one thing that i've done uh this past let's say past year or so is i've added a transcript to my podcast um and so i you know have a i have a transcription uh person who transcribes the audio and and i put that up um and then the the one thing i i realized after a while is that i was trying to get things out on a normal pace. And so I would put up the podcast episode and I have a little note transcript and I'd say coming soon. And I would send the link of the old podcast to the transcription service. And then, you know, a few days later I'd put up the transcript mm-hmm. and someone said, mm-hmm. well, why are you, why are you delaying? It's, it's, you know, it's sort of making the whole point of the transcript You're sort of othering people who need the transcript, you know, who, who may have, uh, uh, issues where they can't hear it and they do want to read it. And so, you know, that was the sort of thing that was eye opening say, you know, I should make the the, the tape, the audio, uh, send that first and then make sure the whole thing is ready to go. So there's a lot of steps and stages and and thinking that goes into these things. And I think a lot of people just sort of, oh, I have my Apple headphones and I'm just going to yeah. start recording yes. And and you can do that <laughs> and, you know, you'll get a few people to listen to it. Um, but you know, there are a lot of steps that go into, into creating these, uh, not the least of which is, you know, how I found you through the podcast guests, uh, Mm -hmm. website and, um, you know, scheduling everything and coming up with questions. I mean, it's, it's not for people who want to do it. It's not just a, um, it's not just a little simple hobby. It takes to to have a good podcast. it, It takes time and it takes effort.
0: Yeah. I'm realizing that. It's (laughs) 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 more and more, you know, in my case, I was having bizarre problems with dizziness and eye strain. So I started Mm. listening to podcasts. So really a year and a half ago, I didn't know what a podcast was and uh, a friend of mine recommended s-town so i listened to that on yeah. I don't know if you ever heard that but oh yeah yeah still one of the most amazing podcasts i think yeah. ever put out and then i started listening to some of the most popular podcasts one of which i really like one of which i don't like that much and the difference between those two a lot of it is technology um mm. which is interesting because yeah the, you know some pod the and the style uh i listened to joe rogan whose style is still like even though he's not live anymore because of technical reasons his style is we're going to go live and do the podcast, and then when he puts it out as an audio podcast, they do edit it. He, you know, they do have an engineer that goes through it, edits it, put in puts in the ads and stuff. But it's it's not much difference. And then there's another uh, Tim Ferriss, who I really like, who mm-hmm. does what you do. He did he really breaks it down and does the full um, transcription of it, and he you know right. they put markers in and really spend time on yeah. on getting it to where and really there's a lot more information there for people who mm-hmm. dig into it. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just realizing that uh, I, I write pretty short descriptions and because I know that most people, especially yeah. in my case, with my kind of podcast, most people are going to listen to the podcast and then hopefully they'll go to the next podcast. And I right. uh, also like to put the website on um, as we're talking so that <laughs> at yeah, least yeah, they, yeah. they can hear it and maybe uh, websites and books and, and things like that but definitely more work than um, I expected. Oh, yeah. I had a, luckily, I had the equipment because I'm a drummer. So I had all these mics, and I needed a creative outlet. And I, I, heard, right. you know, I heard these two podcasters, extremely famous people, by the way, who were saying, oh, anybody could podcast. Yeah, anybody as famous as you could podcast. Yeah, right, exactly. And, you yeah. know, and do really yeah. well. And uh, now that I, I had Rob Walsh on, who's one of the earliest podcasters and very mm-hmm. uh, extreme effort expert on it, since I had him on, which is a few months ago, the industry has grown by 900,000 podcasts. Wow. In a few months because now, uh, and this, uh, the COVID is expanding it more because people need a new way to communicate. But somehow the word got out that if you do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, if you're a newscaster or you're uh, some kind of coach, or maybe you have a fitness line that you must have a podcast. So somehow that got out there. Um, <laughs> the the thing, the lucky thing for my people like myself who's have a small podcast and trying to grow it, I'm you know, is that the way to grow it is to stick with it, which you've done, yeah. to make you know make it better as you can, um, and just to keep doing them because still I think it's there's a huge percentage, and I've still heard this from on Wall on the rob walsh it's not his podcast but a podcast he goes on that a huge percentage of people don't get past 10 episodes Mm. so you know once you get past 10 it's like okay you're starting now you're starting now you're starting now you're getting somewhere i
1: I think you're absolutely right the sticking with it is is key and also is also key and i i learned this probably about a year in is not to really worry about the numbers uh, so you know, I was tracking my listeners and my downloads, and I was talking to other friends who who have podcasts. There's another data visualization podcast that was the first one called Data Stories. Um, you know, and I and I and I had heard and I because I'm friends with one of the hosts. I knew their traffic was much larger than mine. And I said, you know, I've been doing this for like a year or so, and I haven't really seen the attendance or the the downloads uh, sort of ticking up the way I want to. He said, don't worry about it, and I said, yeah, you know, I'm not even going to worry about it. So. So I, I, I basically stopped looking at my statistics, and uh, I, my view is as I'm just going to keep doing it until I no longer enjoy it, right? That's and
0: that's a really good. Know,
1: as soon as I say, this is exhausting, and it's part of the reason why I moved from every week to every other week because I realize, you know, my podcast is not Joe Rogan, right? It's not Mark Marin. It's not this American life. People aren't waiting. For the moment that it hits the, the the podcast app, so they can listen to it. So going from every uh, every 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 week to every other week isn't really going to impact my numbers, and I'm not going to look anyways. So I'm just going to make it easier for me, so that I still enjoy doing it. And um, once I stop enjoy doing it or get tired of it, that's that's when I'll 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 close it up. But right now, I still enjoy doing it. I mean, I think it's it is a great way to network and connect with people. Um, you know, I, I uh, you know, the, the S-Town type podcasts, uh, where, it's, where it's sort of this story arc um, where, they, where they do various interviews and they cut them together and sort of tell. It's more like the, the, an audio, more like an e-book sort of thing right. or a, an audio book. You know, I, I tried to do one of those at one point. They're very difficult. Uh, mean, just I,
0: so yeah. you know, a hundred people. Their crew is a hundred. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it's right well, exactly.
0: I, I, so what am I? It's a little different, right? Yeah, it's a little different. I went to see yeah. the the creator, um, and at, at, he came here to to talk about the show, yeah. which was absolutely amazing. But you know, when he said, "Yeah, my crew of a and he you know he just throws that off because he works at NTR, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> right?
1: Oh my god! Like, okay, I am not doing that, <laughs> <This> but is... <laughs> I will continue to listen. Yeah, I,
0: exactly. I you know, yeah. Um, Got to give yeah. yourself a break there. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. And that's—I think—that's a really good attitude. And then I—I I imagine it's harder even for yourself since you kind of work in data, not to look at the data. It's really hard yeah. for me not to look. Um, thankfully, when I—it's slowly going up. And yeah, uh, you know, just having putting them out there—that's that's no really putting them out there. Putting, putting out putting the content out is uh, yeah. is
1: good. And the other thing, I'll, I'll just—I uh, um, want to make sure I mentioned about the transcript, one of the, there were two reasons I did it. One was for accessibility reasons. Um, and the other reason was because of SEO. So that when people search um, those episodes, I think will move up in the Google search algorithm because there are keywords that show up, you know, con- you know, data visualization is always, and data are always coming up in these transcripts. So I think the transcripts also help for the for the search engine um, uh, optimization uh, uh search words so i think that's you know one of the other reasons to consider doing um a transcript but you know it's another cost right it's another thing you have to do so it's certainly not easy and and i have not gone back to have all my previous episodes transcribed so i'm still sticking with uh with what i have right now for the moment
0: oh well that's good and that actually makes a lot of sense because with what i no, and a little bit of knowledge i gain about search engines that that totally makes sense yeah the yeah. more words yeah. you have in there to search right then the, the, the search, more successful yeah. that's going to be so that yeah right. that really makes sense yeah. and i think uh, i think you're running out of time which really sucks because i barely got to, i didn't get to touch on your book and your your data visualization catalog but you said oh, you, right yeah you said you had another commitment so i'll just mention it he has a book better be- better better data visualizations. you got a lot of tongue twisters in your titles. And then, (laughs) and a catalog, data visualizations catalog. And if you don't, um, it's actually a really interesting subject if you're interested in data at all. Whether or not you make charts yourself, uh, I think data is fascinating. And um, his site is is full of a lot of information about data. So, yeah, I'm going to wrap it up here. This has been, were you still talking? with joel albrecht and my guest today has been john Schwabish. did i pronounce that right you did all right fantastic so uh i will be back soon but not until i have everything ready to go i won't be rushing any of these because (laughs) that's what we talked about so as always be good to each other